0: I'm going to give you a timeline of events according to scripture that I think we can look for of how the end times and everything uh, prophecy, the end times prophecy is going to occur. I'm going to give you seven pieces to look for, okay? And then I'm going to give you the first sign that we need to be watching for, what is going to happen after that sign occurs, and our response right now in the moment, okay? That's my goal. So let's jump in, timeline. Um, And and by the way, if you are asking yourself, why is this important? Why do I need to be here? Why do I need to be hearing this today? Uh, I would just simply tell you this. um, One, it's good to know what's going to happen if you don't die, if you're here on earth when Jesus returns. But two, if you thought COVID-19 changed some things, if you thought the last year altered life as we know it, even for a season of time, you have no idea what is going to change when all of this takes place, okay? So it's important to know, it's important to be educated, and I promise you at the very end, uh, we'll wrap it all together. But um, everyone is looking for the, the Antichrist. Everyone's trying to predict the Antichrist. I remember when the Twin Towers were bombed, Osama Bin Laden was the Antichrist. I remember there was this goofball group that said Barack Obama was the Antichrist. And there's on and on and on to even today. I mean, there has been people who've been dead wrong and ignorant that have been predicting who the Antichrist is all the time. Can I tell you something? That is not the first sign we need to be looking for. When I read Scripture and I look to what is the first thing that is going to be happening, and some of us, we've talked about personally. The reason we're going here today is enough of you have asked me personally about this. Uh, Here is the number one thing we should be looking for as the people of God to know whether or not we are nearing closer and closer to the return of Jesus Christ, and that is Israel all alone at war. Israel all alone at war. At war, that is the first thing we need to be looking for. I don't know if you watch the news much about what is going on with Israel. But that's why I say the number one thing I've been looking oh, hey, do you think this is the Antichrist? Do you think this is the Antichrist? I said, no, I, I want to know about Israel. Is Israel all alone with no allies at war? That's where it begins, so I'll walk you through our timeline. The Gog Magog War, Ezekiel chapter 38. That is the first thing we're going to see take place, and that is where Israel is all alone in a regional war. And I'm going to walk you through all of this, okay? The second thing that I believe is going to occur is the rapture. And I'm going to walk you through a pre-tribulation rapture and why I believe Scripture demands a pre-tribulation rapture. Okay? So we have the Gog Magog War, then we have the rapture. I, I put a bunch of Scripture references in your sermon notes in the app for you to, for you to study that. The third thing that we're going to see, uh, and this is my interpretation of where we're at in Scripture, is a peace treaty between the Antichrist and Israel. The Gog Magog War takes place, the rapture happens, then the Antichrist will really rise up. That's why I'm not too terribly concerned who the Antichrist is, because his greatest hour of prominence, we're not going to be here. Okay, he's going to come and he's going to make a peace treaty with Israel three and a half years in. He's going to break that peace treaty and the great tribulation is going to begin. That's Daniel uh, 9 verse 27. And then uh, the seven year tribulation is going to begin. He breaks the tribulation, Daniel chapter 9. He breaks the peace treaty, I'm sorry. And then at the end of the seven years, I believe the battle of Armageddon takes place. I separate, as many scholars do now today, the battle of Gog Magog and the battle of Armageddon. I think they're two completely different battles, and I'll share with you why. This battle, the battle of Gog Magog, is a battle over plunder. It's a regional battle over plunder and riches in Israel. This battle, Zechariah 13, Zechariah 14, Matthew 24, Jesus even says, is an all out battle of desolation. Okay? This battle, Gog Magog, Ezekiel chapter 39 says Israel's at peace afterwards. Israel cannot be at peace after the Gog Magog War if it is the Battle of Armageddon. So, follow me. I separate those two. Battle of Armageddon takes place. Sixth thing to happen is Jesus returns, Revelation 19, 11 through 16, and then he overthrows the Antichrist, brings in the millennial reign, a new heaven, new earth, and we rule with him forever, Revelation chapter 20. All of those in your sermon notes. You can can study those for yourself. Uh, Okay, two things promise you i'm going i'm going to well, if you will dial in on these the last 15 is going to make a ton of sense okay um, here's the two things the first thing i want to walk you through in detail is ezekiel chapter 38 the gog magog war I want you to see because I believe it's the first sign we should be looking for. I think it's the first thing we should be paying attention to. And then I want to walk you through pre-tribulation rapture, what that means for us. And then we have three points of a response, okay? Here we go, Ezekiel chapter 38. Let me get there, and I'm just going to narrate this as we walk through it. If you have your Bibles, walk through it, uh, sermon notes. You guys, you guys have it back there. All right, we're going to go piece by piece. Here we go. This is, by the way, in Ezekiel chapter 33, Ezekiel says, the Lord has now spoken to me about the future things to take place. From 33 to 48, it is all about end times prophecy, okay? So he is speaking and prophesying specifically to the things that will take place before the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Here we go. This is another message that came to me from the Lord. Son of man, turn and face Gog of the land of Magog, the prince who rules over the nations of Meshech and Tubal and prophesy against him. Gog is a person who settled in the land of Magog. I side with a lot of people who interpret that as Turkey. Some interpret that as Russia. It depends on where they sided. Nonetheless, right above Israel, north of Israel, is Turkey and Russia. I really believe when it, when it combines them with Meshach and Tubal, it's talking about the leader in this Gog Magog war. They're a rebellious, aggressive leader. Nobody has been more rebellious and aggressive against Israel than Turkey. So I, I think Gog Magog is the land of Turkey, could be Russia, either way, uh, doesn't matter, but those are the things I'm telling you, nobody knows, I don't know, but uh, I, I don't know, but I do, it's, it's Turkey. All right, let's go. <laughs> the prince who rules over the nation, blah, blah, blah. verse 3, give him this message from the sovereign Lord, Gog, I am your enemy. I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws to lead you out with your whole army, your horses and charioteers in full armor, and a great horde armed with shields and swords. In other words, the Lord is going to provoke this battle. Okay? He is going to draw out Turkey. He's going to draw out these other nations. So he rolls in. He says, I'm going to put a hook in your mouth, and I'm going to pull you into this battle. Verse 5, Persia, which is modern-day Iran. Iranians are Persians, they're not Arabs. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya, both modern day, same place, will join you too with all their weapons. Verse 6, Gomer, many have interpreted Gomer to be Egypt after Friday, and I'll tell you what happened Friday. Uh, I 100% agree with them. Gomer and all its armies will also join you along with the armies of Beth Togomar. Okay, Beth Togemar is either Russia or Turkey. It's the alternative, right? Because it says from the distant north and many others. So we have Gog Magog is either Turkey or Russia. Beth Togemar is either the alternative of Turkey or Russia from the distant north. Either way, here we go. This is where it gets good. Verse 7. Get ready. Be prepared. Keep all the armies around you mobilized and take command of them. Again, I don't, I don't know if you've seen what has been going on, but Russia has placed troops in Syria right now. Iran and Israel have been bombing each other back and forth the past two weeks over the Gaza Strip. Hamas is funded by Iran, and Iran is desperately trying to create a stronghold in northern Israel, okay? So when we read stuff like get prepared, keep the armies mobilized, and take command of them, they are are doing these, these things are happening. Right? Am I saying Gog Magog is happening right now? No. But I am saying that the events that are talked about right now, They look pretty good from a real-time standpoint. A long time from now, this is is the crazy piece. This doesn't get more real-time than right now a long time from now, you will be called into action in the distant future. You will swoop down on the land of Israel, which will be enjoying peace after recovering from war and after its people have returned from many lands to the mountains of Israel. So what does it say? You nations are going to create strongholds and you are going to swoop down into Israel as it is enjoying peace from recovering from war. Did you see what happened Friday morning between Iran and and Israel, there was a peace treaty, a ceasefire negotiated by Egypt leading the peace council. Gomer, Egypt, negotiated this peace treaty. Israel has gone from being at war to they are right now in a ceasefire with Iran while Russia and Turkey are mobilizing troops around them. Like I said, pretty wild stuff. Verse 9 You and all your allies, a vast and awesome array, will roll down on them like a storm and cover the land like a cloud. This is why I tell you, this is what I'm looking for. I am not looking for who the Antichrist is. I am looking for Israel to be all alone, at peace, while every nation that surrounds them begins to abandon them and begins to place military groups around them and then eventually invades them. Okay? Verse 10, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. At that time, evil thoughts will come to your mind, and you will devise a wicked scheme. You will say, Israel it is an unprotected land filled with unwalled villages. <clears throat> this is nuts. And this is why I think it's separate from the Battle of Armageddon. I will march against her and destroy these people who live in such confidence. This is what they're all saying to themselves. I will go to those formerly desolate cities that are now filled with people who have returned from exile in many nations. I will capture vast amounts of plunder For the people are rich with livestock and other possessions now. They think the whole world revolves around them. So what is the motivation of this war? It is plunder, and it is possessions, and it is a nation that thinks everything revolves around them. Listen to this. Israel, since 2010, has been the number one. They have made the largest discoveries, along with the largest in the world recently, 30 trillion metricages yards of natural gas in the mediterranean since 2010 nobody has discovered more natural gas than the nation of israel do you know who the largest supplier of natural gas is to the middle east iran do you know who the largest supplier of natural gas is to the european union russia do you think that that would be motivation enough to plunder and get possessions from Israel who is becoming the largest possessor of natural gas in the country? Turkey's motivation has always been spiritual plunder. They want the land for spiritual reasons. I think it's it's great motive for when all of this takes place. It says they think the whole world revolves around them. But Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish will ask, "Do you really think the armies you have gathered can rob them of silver and gold? Do you think you can drive away their livestock and seize their goods and carry off their plunder. In other words, do you really think, even if they're all alone, you can mess with Israel? Do you really think you can take those shots? verse 14, therefore son of man prophesy against God, give him this message from the sovereign Lord, when my people are living in peace in their land, then you will rouse yourself, you will come from your homeland in the distant north Turkey or Russia, with your vast cavalry and your mighty army, and you will attack my people Israel, covering their land like a cloud, at that time in the distant future, I will bring you against my land as everyone watches, and my holiness will be displayed by what happens to you, Gog, then all the nations will know that I am the Lord. I'll let you finish reading that in your own time, but he basically says, I will shake the earth, I will rain down hailstones, I will crush, I will plunder, I will destroy, and you will know who the God of Israel is. Is then Ezekiel chapter thirty-nine verse nine talks about again. I think this is this is where I go with after this war, rapture occurs, seven-year tribulation. It says then the people in the towns of Israel, this is after that battle, will go out and pick up your small and large shields, bows and arrows, javelins and spears, and they will use them for fuel. There will be enough to last them seven years. So I believe then the seven-year tribulation begins to take place. Okay, Uh, That's the first sign. I just wanted to give you an idea of what to look for. More than anything, I wanted to open your eyes to just how eerily accurate Scripture is. We are talking about a prophecy given thousands of years ago that is just lining up so perfectly, again, Israel may be at peace the next 50 years. I don't know. Or Turkey and and Russia may decide to invade tomorrow. I, I don't know, but here's what I do know. You cannot get closer to where we are right now with Israel than Ezekiel chapter 38. It is just there. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the battle of Gog and Magog to take place. I believe the rapture either happens before in the middle or at the end, but no no soon right after this happens, the antichrist rises up. He negotiates a peace treaty with Israel. We are not here. 7-year tribulation. If I am if I am convinced of anything, as, as adamant as I would be convinced of anything from Scripture when it comes to the end times, I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I, I think we, let, let me soften you. you. You all are like, oh my gosh, where are we at right now? You know, again, it's going to make sense in the end, but uh, there was a time where um, in the old LSC, we were celebrating our one-year anniversary. And during that one-year anniversary, uh, I had the brilliant idea. I want to do confetti. If you were here, let me see. If you were here for our one-year anniversary, let me see you. Let me see you wherever you are. If you're online, comment. You were here for that as well. You were here. Oh, my goodness. I remember. I decided I wanted to do confetti. And so we had uh, confetti cannons hidden throughout the crowd. We had people who had these big cannons of confetti. And then we had Brie. Brie is the greatest. Brie had this giant fan, and she had this 55 gallon trash bag, There, this trash can that was sitting there and it was full to the top of confetti. And she was literally, when we said uh, happy birthday, Ark Church, these confetti cannons went off and Brie was dumping handfuls of confetti on this fan. And it was blowing confetti into the air ducts, into the ceiling tiles. I I remember there was this moment. Confetti was everywhere. Everyone was cheering about the church. And there's Brie and she is just unlovingly Loading confetti onto this fan. It's blowing everywhere. Before we did that, I called the LSC staff and I said, hey, we want to do confetti for our one-year celebration. Are you okay with that? And they said, yeah. And I said, do you want us to clean it up or can we pay the cleaning fee? And they said, I'll tell you what the cleaning fee is. I said, okay, wait, a- call me back the next day. They say it's 200 bucks. I like, pay it. Are you serious? Like, are you- okay. i okay? Okay, we'll do that. You know, we'll, we'll pay the 200 bucks. They hired one cleaning person with one vacuum. I'm talking, there was two inches thick of confetti all over the floor. I mean, when you were walking through, you were walking through a pool of confetti. And I remember afterwards, all, all three of those staff members from the LSC they were, they were standing back there like this. <laughs> like, you know that just puzzled, like, what on earth are we going to do look, right? They're standing back there looking, at, and I went to one of them, and I said, I said, hey, man, I said, What do you think? And he was like, "Uh, you all did confetti, that's for sure. And I said, man, it's not near as bad as I thought it was going to be. And he said, it is far worse than I thought it was going to be. He told me a year after that they were still finding confetti. They did a renovation and a construction project, and they were finding confetti in the rafters, in the ceiling, everywhere. But here's, here's what I remember. I mean, Bree was there, team members were there, we were all there, and, and after that, I was like, well, I was like, you know, praise God for a cleaning fee, we'll see y'all later. And we, we left, and they had the mess, right, because we already knew what we had. When I think of a pre-tribulation rapture, that's exactly what I think about. We, we get so freaked out about the tribulation, we get so freaked out about the Battle of Armageddon, we get so freaked out about these things, we're not here. We're not here when those things are happening, Okay. Here is what I want to walk you through. Yeah, that, thank you for that, that one as well. Man, you all got to get on the same page. We need to like have the screens flash clapped here or something like that. So y'all are all on the same page. Uh, pre-tribulation rapture, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap all this up for you. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. I don't know how after reading this we can say Scripture calls for anything but a pre-tribulation rapture. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people with no hope. There was this fear that if you died before the rapture took place, that you weren't called up with God and you wouldn't be with God. And what is the first thing he says we need to know about the pending rapture is hope. The rapture is hope. The rapture is hope the rapture is encouragement, and the rapture is victory. He says, verse 14, For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring bring back with him the believers who have died. Verse 15, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. Joel 2 verse 1 says that when you hear the trumpet call of God, that is your warning that the day of the Lord is about to take place. And he is prophesying to the tribulation, the time of desolation that is coming. He says in Joel 2 verse 1, write that down. I don't know if I put that in your notes or not, that when you hear the trumpet call of God, the day of the Lord is at hand and that time is coming. What does Paul say when the trumpet sounds that we are called up with God? I believe simultaneously there is a trumpet call of God that the tribulation has began and we are raptured from the earth. We are taken from the earth with those who have died and those who are alive to be with Christ. Some go one step further and say that that will be during the feast of trumpets which is in September. I don't know. If I, if I go that far, but I do know what Scripture says about a trumpet call of God. And I know the trumpet call of God, understand this, the trumpet call was always the warning before the battle. So again, when we talk about a rapture, we're talking about the trumpet call of God being the indicator that we're getting ready to, be, to ascend and be with Him. We're talking about the warning before something happens. They never blew it after the battle started. They always blew it before it began, okay? So we have the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Verse 17, "...then together with them, who, we who are still alive and remain on the earth, will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air." Then will we be, Then we will be with the Lord forever. Again, listen to this. So encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other with these words. We should not be discouraged right now. We should be encouraged when we talk about the rapture. We should be filled with hope, filled with excitement, filled with joy that a rapture is coming. The trumpet will blow. The Lord will take his people dead and alive and he will bring them to be with him to reign forever. Thank you very much. Be encouraged right now. Don't be freaked out right now. Two more things that I think point um, to a pre tribulation rapture. These are good things to know. Revelation 1 through 3 speaks to the ecclesia, the historic first century church on earth. Okay? So when we talk about the church on earth, Revelation 1 through 3 is giving specific instruction to the church. Revelation 6 through 18 deals with the end times, the tribulation, and the pending wrath to come. Not once. Not one time is the ecclesia mentioned in 6 through 18. 1 through 3, we have very specific instructions. When the rapture, when the tribulation, and when the day of desolation comes, or the great tribulation comes, during that time, 6 through 18, not one time is the church mentioned. It's almost like it's gone. Not one time in the epistles, not one time. Does any author of an epistle give us a warning for the church enduring a tribulation during the tribulation age? Not one time is there a warning. We have warnings for false teachers. We have warnings for sin. We have warnings for flesh. We have warnings for weakness. We have warnings for everything. And not one time is there a warning for the church to prepare to endure the tribulation. It's almost like the church is gone. So here's what I want to do. We have our first sign. We have the hope of a tribulation. It is, it is encouraging words. It is hope. <laughs> what on earth do we do now? What do we do now with all of this that we have? How, how do we approach tomorrow? Oh my gosh, isn't the Gog Magog war happening right now? Do I have six months left with my kids? Am I going to see our 11th anniversary? Will our church celebrate in August? Am I going to grow old? Am I going to be gone? Will I graduate college? Will I have grandkids? Like, what do I do now? I want to give you three things, and I want, I'll do it in, in 10 minutes. We'll be out of here. Uh, t- three things that I think are the three most important things we have to hear when we talk about the end of things to come, reigning with Jesus forever and, and this life that we know it is over and we are back in the millennial reign of Christ, new heaven, new earth, and that's the next time that we touch the earth to reign with him forever. What do we do? What do we need to know? Number one, if, hey, if the first 20 were like, what are we talking about? Take notes here. This is is what you need. This is most important. It's not determining whether or not the Battle of Gog Magog is happening or who the Antichrist is. This is what we need. We have got to understand the one coming back for us loves us the most. Thank you. Thank you. The The one who is coming back for us loves us the most. His love is unmatched. His love cannot be even touched by anything here on earth. Romans 8.35, he says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean thank you? Does he mean no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Does that mean he doesn't love us anymore? Romans 8.37-39, no. Despite all these things. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears of today for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing, yes nothing can separate you from that love. I have a friend who was traveling one time. He called me afterwards and he was like, man, preacher, I, I about needed you to come get me out of jail. He said, I was about to go into the deep cell. And I was like, man, what did you do? He said, I was traveling with his, his son, was like 10 or 13 at the time, and, or 10 or 12 at the time. Or I don't know. He was, he was old enough to look like he was a teenager. And he was going through security. And he went through a security line and his son went through the other line. And he was kind of just, you know, okay, here's what we do. He took his shoes I've got him on, went through the thing, the metal detectors, and he got to the other side in the airport. And he looked back, and his son was being detained and he, he saw that, and I guess his son had packed a tube of peanut butter, which is apparently the same consistency as plastic explosives, so they flagged his bag, they flagged him, I think he had a, a knife on his keychain, and just knuckle-headed 10-year-old stuff, you know, and so they they began to detain him, and he looked back, and he saw that, and he said, brother, I turned into Barry Switzer on turbo, or Barry Sanders on turbo mode. He said, I was I was dodging people, he said, I was spin-moving, and, I was and they were like, sir, you can't come back through here, and he Blazed through one and he got around. He said they nearly tackled him when he got to his son in security. He said, I was asking one, I hope you got dental insurance because I'm knocking your teeth out. Like, you will not keep me. And he said, Brother, he said, I don't care what they tried to do, they were not keeping me from my son. He said, there was not. He said, man, they were on top of me. They they were jumping over the thing that the conveyor belt that has bags on it. And I was dodging through all of this stuff. And he said, but in my mind, in that moment, I saw my little boy and I said to myself, 'Uh uh-uh, you will not separate me from my little boy. That's what Paul is saying about the love of Christ. He is saying, there is not a demon, there is not an angel, there is nothing in the sky above, nothing in the earth below. Hell itself cannot separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. When we talk about these things, we have to remind ourselves, the one who is coming loves me the most. The one who is coming to capture me and rapture me and take me to reign forever with him, he loves me the most. Number two, stop worrying. Don't worry. Quit worrying. Whatever you do, get over the anxiety. Let it go. It, is, it cannot compare to what Christ has. First, Philippians 4, 6 through 7 is a classic verse that is wrapped around prayer, anxiety, and worry. A lot of people omit the first two verses before it. It's speaking specifically in context to the end times. Listen to this. Philippians 4, 4-7, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Remember, he's coming soon. He's coming soon. We need to remember that. Verse 6, so how do we respond? Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything about anything. He's coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. You see what he just did there? Your worry list becomes your prayer list. The things that you worry about, write them down. I want you to take a piece of paper, and I want you to write worry list at the top, and I want you to write down all the things that you're worried about, and then I want you to go to the top of that list, and I want you to scratch out worry, and I want you to write prayer list. Because you don't worry about anything, you pray about everything. You don't stress about everything, you pray about everything. You're not filled with anxiety about everything, you pray about everything. Verse 6 he says, Don't worry about anything, instead, pray about everything. Your worry list is your prayer list. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience this is what we need God's peace. I don't need the world's peace. I need God's peace. The peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Oh, i got to do it because I love that word. It's the same word in Colossians 3.15. It says, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. That is a Greek word that means umpire. It means official. The one who's calling balls and strikes. I'm a terrible umpire. I, I, was, I'm, I am not a rule follower. I'm a rule breaker when it comes to sports. i will do anything to win. So they have me umpiring. They want me to enforce these rules. I was umpiring a nine and under fall ball game, and this coach was giving the take signal to his kids. Nine and under fall ball. And it's like, listen, we all know steal the shirt, bump the belt, take the pants. Like, those are the worst signals in the world. But here's his coach, and he's over there on third base side, and he's going, take the pants. Kids are standing in the box like this not even looking around. I'm like, okay, you wanna play that game? This is nine and under, we're here to develop ball players, not win games. Boom, strike, is in the dirt. Like, i a strike, he's like, he's looking over at me. I'm like, I'll do it again too, don't do it. Okay, here you go. Next one's way outside. Yeah, I gave him another strike. What are you looking at? Get your head in the game, hump all these things. I'm like, okay, well, we'll see, try it again. All right, brother, kid is standing there, bat on his shoulder, ball is so close it nearly brushed his teeth, and I'm like, yeah, (laughs) he comes unglued, blazing down the third baseline. What are you, do you know I pitched for the Rangers A-ball system? So did every other washed-up college pitcher I played with, so good for you. Here's the difference. On this field, I'm the umpire. So you can be a childhood hero, but I'm the one who's calling the shots. I'm the one in charge, and you can't do a thing about it. So tell these kids to swing the bat. That should be peace in our hearts. Peace should be looking at anxiety about the end of times coming and saying, you can't do a thing about this to my heart. Peace should be looking at fear and worry and being scared of everything. And it should be saying, what are you going to do? I'm in charge around here. And this heart's ruled by peace. And everything that comes at this heart that's not peace is rejected. And it's thrown out. And everything that comes that sows peace is received. And it's multiplied. And it comes out of me. But the umpire of my heart is peace. Don't worry. Okay, number one, the one who's coming for us loves us the most. Number two, don't worry. Number three, hear me on this. I'm begging you to hear me on this. The mission has never been more important. The mission of reaching people, of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, of taking a moment and witnessing to somebody, the mission has never, ever, ever ever been more important than right now because you may not die. And you may be waiting for a lifetime to do something, but you don't have a lifetime to do it. The mission has never been more important. I love Jude 17, 23. Again, an end times reference. He said, but you, my dear brothers, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last Times There would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's Spirit in them. But you, dear friends, must build up each other in the most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way you will keep yourselves safe in God's love. Verse 22. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. We should be, with everything that is going on in the world, consumed with one thing, snatching people. I want to snatch that person. I want to get that. I want to go Monday in the break room. I know I'm going to see the same person, and I know they're struggling, and God's been speaking to my heart about witnessing to them, and I'm not going to wait another moment. I'm going to to reach out, and I'm going to snatch that person. I'm going to reach out to that family member that I haven't talked to in years, and I'm going to start rebuilding our relationship, and God willing, I'm going to have enough time to snatch them back into the kingdom of God. I'm going to reach out to my kid that I've been distant to for a long time and we had the silly, most ridiculous disagreement at Christmas time, and we haven't spoken since last year and I'm going to heal that and then I'm going to snatch them and I'm going to bring them into the kingdom of God. And I'm going to do everything that I can to reach them. I'm going to reach out to anyone and everyone. I can see I had a cool video to play it for you, but I don't need to play a video for you to capture this. We need to be snatching people. We need to be reaching out to people. We need to be extending our me included. Look, I live a pretty introverted life outside of church. I, I am I am introverted by nature. I don't I get I get worn out by being in crowds and groups of people all the time. I'm energized by being alone. And one thing that I love to do is work out alone. It just energizes me. And I had somebody, and I don't want to compromise it because uh, you know I. Uh, I mean I'm on mission right now but they asked me if they could work out with me and I'll tell you this the last thing I want to do is have a workout partner and you know what the lord spoke to my heart do it and witness do it and witness get over your bubble of comfort get over your bubble of rhythm get over your bubble of what you like and do it and witness be a light for me. Snatch this person. So they're on my snatch list. I turned my worry list into my prayer list and then I got this snatch list and you better watch out because if I'm texting you about having coffee or I'm trying to get lunch with you, you may be on my snatch list. I may be coming to snatch you and I'm going to bring you back to the kingdom of God and if you invite me to your workspace I may come and I, I may have somebody I'm going to snatch them right there and I may become a client of yours and may not even like your stuff but I want to snatch you because I'm coming for you and I want to see you with me, with us, together, worshiping forever.